embarrassing when that happens. <laughs> you have really a lot of trouble with your stuff, don't you? Yeah, but I always come back. I always come always back. Always come back. <laughs> Failure's not an option. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Ever. Ever. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ever. Thank you. <laughs> okay. But. Oh, wow. What are we doing? Safety glasses, just in case you get. Mr. Good Looking here. <laughs> You'll never be Mr. Good Looking. <laughs> no, but I'll fall first. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I have an idea. The it's light on comes on, right? This is a really old bulb. Very old. This is, uh, this is older than we are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's an old one. And uh, Thomas Edison had an idea. And I think that's why they now say, you know, you need the light to come on. Mm -hmm. What if you had an idea to make something just like this, and you made it, and you're looking at it, and you're trying to figure out what it is? That happens, doesn't it? If you turned it over, <laughs> cut it off, you could use it as a cup. But he went the other way. He actually built this trying to solve a problem. There's two little places to hook up wires, <clears throat> and the wires go up to a little filament inside. And the idea is you run electricity through the filament. As the electrons throw, flow through it, it gets hot, and it glows and gives off light. And that was pretty easy to do. You could do that quite easily. But <clears throat> in a few seconds, it would burn out. Sometimes it would burn out like that. It's a flash bulb. Yeah. <laughs> but he wanted to have it stay on so we could have a light in our home. And uh, the filament burned out. So he tried a different material. He tried animal hair. He tried different kinds of metals. He tried carbon fibers. He tried all these different things. In fact, he tried over 1,000 different things. He, he got bamboo from Japan, because he heard about this really good bamboo. He tried all these things. And no matter what he put in there, it would always burn up. And they said, you failed 1,000 times. And he says, no, I didn't fail. I found out, I successfully found out something that wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. But success was still elusive. Nothing would hold up. And then he got the idea, what if I put a ball of glass over the top of it and pump out all of the air? So there's no oxygen to burn up whatever it is that's getting heated. And that's, that's where the glass came. So the glass is to keep the oxygen away. And when that happened, then he was able to make a bulb that would last long enough to actually use it as a light bulb. Now, uh, we look at LED bulbs in the store, light-emitting diodes. And you look on the box, and it says, good for 100 1,000 hours, 100,000 hours. Hmm. Light bulbs that Edison made were good for 12 minutes, an hour, 
10 hours. They finally got one that went overnight. They were so surprised. But it was because they got rid of the oxygen. A light emitting diode, 100,000 hours. Do you realize how long that is? <laughs> but what they don't tell you is that you have to have a ballast with the light emitting diode. And those bulbs burn out in about a year, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the man, the diode's good. Well, I am really infatuated by this invention. And interestingly, people had been experimenting with making light by running electricity through. But Edison did something else. And that's why when we see the light bulb, we think of Edison. And that's because he made the whole package. He got the filament, and then he got the glass bulb, and then he got a base. If a bulb burns out too fast, and you have to call the electrician to come and hook up new wires, it's not practical. But if you have a bulb so that the house owner, the housewife, or anyone could just screw it out by hand, put a new one in, then it could burn out sooner. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. You solve the problem of not having enough life by making it easy to change. So he developed a whole system. And he went further than that. People did not have electricity in their houses. So he developed an electric distribution system. He developed a system call it a magneto, to generate the electricity. He had to make all those pieces and bring them together as a system. In engineering, we have a thing that we call systems engineering. You can engineer a bulb, you can engineer a part, but a systems engineer looks at the whole system, the thing that you need to make something really work. Systems are often the secret. So when you're inventioneering, you might want to consider that. I just think that's a neat part of history. And you know, I feel connected to this light bulb. Um, Part because, you know, someday I'm going to have a good idea. But partly because Thomas Edison, the guy that inventioneered this bulb, decided that he was going to pass on his learning, his gift, his wisdom, his knowledge in how to make a goal and achieve it. And so he chose Bill Lair, who decided he was going to pass it on, so he chose me. And so I decided I was going to pass it on, so guess who I chose? Them. Oh. <laughs> so, you should all feel connected to this. Well, that, that is your inventioneering genealogy. That's your Mm-hmm. Your line of inventionary is good. So I bring that up because I've got some sad news. And I'm going to go through this, this part of our discussion three times so that it will be statistically significant. <laughs> Way to go, Joseph. Way to go. <laughs> I am very happy to announce the latest iteration of technological development. If you look at this, this is a new birthday party cap. That's what it looks like. <laughs> kind of looks like it, doesn't it? It's got uh-huh. little flyers on it, but actually, these are <laughs> wires. And inside here is a speaker. So when you hook this up to play an Acellus lesson, 
This shoots out a sound wave in a very narrow beam. So just one student hears it. You can have a whole classroom, and the sound won't interfere with anyone else. That would be called a hypothesis. Yeah, that's where you start, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I tested it three times. <laughs> and it does work. The speaker inside there comes shooting sound out the front. It's, it's kind of like a megaphone, you know, those things you yell through, hello, hello. It comes shooting out there, and you can hear it everywhere. That's got to be good for something, huh? Running up the uh, failure score. Yes, it was, it was very good for that. It, it is a nice party cap, and you could probably use these to tighten your hair or something. But... Uh, <laughs> This is for the new Acellus pods, only it doesn't work. And why doesn't it work? Because the sound's everywhere. And if we put these on every Acellus pod, everybody in the room could hear everybody's lesson at once, and no one would be able to understand what the teachers were saying. So it's like the light bulb. This is the light bulb where the light never came on. And it could be a new form of cognitive learning with everybody learning everything else. <laughs> could you say that one more time? <laughs> it could be a new form of cognitive learning. Could you learn it from everything? You're listening here and this and there, and then the real thing sinks in. Don't you love her positive attitudes? <laughs> Not a lot of it tonight. Cognitive learning. Okay. Well, here's the deal. They didn't work. Yeah. And so we're back to the old drawing board. So right now we got two ideas that seem to be good. One is a big dome, and the only thing that seems to work is a big dome with a little speaker in it, so it does kind of reflect the sound down from different directions. And they're expensive. Mm -hmm. They're so expensive the schools couldn't afford them. And you've got to have a big structure to hold it up there over your head. And if it ever breaks, you're in trouble. You know? <laughs> so that's one really good idea. And the other idea is those little ultrasonic piezoelectric tra transmitters. Mm -hmm. Remember, do you remember what piezoelectric is? Tell me again. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought you'd say. <laughs> I'm good at that. Shall I remind you? There's a little crystal on there, right? Right, right. Keep going. So if you squeeze a crystal, it'll give off electricity. Mm -hmm. And if you run electricity through a crystal, it'll vibrate. And that's how we get our quartz watches and things. This isn't quartz. But mm -hmm. Modern people have quartz watches. Um, this one is a self-winding watch. has a little wheel in there with a weight on one end. And every time I go like that, it pulls it around and it winds and pulls it back and winds the other way. That's why quite often I'm sitting here going, <laughs> if I do it every second, that keeps time better. <laughs> All right, so no, these are piezoelectric devices that shoot out a sound that is so high-pitched that we can't hear it, so high-pitched that only a bat could hear it, not even a dog could hear it. And the idea is that we modulate an audible audio signal on top of that high frequency. Modulate is something we do 
where you have a wave and you put a signal on that has the sound that you want to have carried. Like on a radio wave, we have very, very high frequency, so high that they go shooting through the air long distances. But a radio wave, if, if you could listen to it, it would just be a very, very, very high-pitched tone. So we modulate it. And when we modulate, that means we mess up the wave in exactly the right way to make it carry the information we want it to carry. And there's two ways to modulate it. If you think of a wave going up and down, one way to modulate it is if we want to make a sound, we make the wave a little taller. And then when there's no sound, we make it smaller again, up and down. We call that amplitude, amplitude modulation, also known as AM radio. Then there's frequency modulation. So you've got your wave, and if you change the frequency so the waves are longer or shorter, at just the right amount, you can carry sound information, and that would be frequency modulation. In our radios, frequency modulation sounds a lot better than AM or amplitude modulation. But a lot of people don't know why that is. It's because modulating frequency is better. Actually, that's not it. The difference is with the amplitude modulation, we're talking about low-frequency radio waves, and the FM band is really, really high, so we can have more resolution of sound. Both would carry the sound adequately. It's just that when we started with AM, we were using these long radio waves, long compared to radio waves, not compared to sound. And FM, we're using very high frequencies, right? Does that make sense? So with the ultrasonic, we have these little transmitters that will send an ultrasound signal. And I have built a circuit. In fact, now I've built several circuits that modulate them. And so the ultrasound goes out, and it's disturbed. I've been doing frequency modulation, so I've been nudging it like this a little bit. And how do I know that it works? I hooked it up to my oscilloscope. Remember the oscilloscope's little thing lets you see the waves? And what an oscilloscope does, it's a voltmeter that displays a little blip with time. So when it started out, this was the voltage, the voltage went up, then it went down, went up and down, and I can see <coughs> that the frequency changes as I've, I've been playing test music, which I'd really like to hear. Now, when that wave that's modulated comes out, I shoot this little sensor at my ear, and I can hear the music ever so soft. And for me to be able to hear it, <coughs> what has to be happening is that ultrasonic wave is hitting my ear and the air around my ear, and it's demodulating, converting it back into low-frequency sound waves. However, most of the energy stays high-frequency, and I can't hear it. The only way so I can even hear it at all decent is to turn up the power so much that I'm afraid it'll give people headaches. I don't want to have that high-powered sound wave that people can't hear and don't want anybody to get a headache. So it's kind of becoming a headache for me. <laughs> really? Yeah. So that's where I'm at. Now, what I need, in case any of you are having ideas tonight,
What I need is to figure out a way to have more of the ultrasonic frequency wave converted to the low frequency wave that it's modulated with. I need to have it very efficiently converted, or efficiently converted. Uh, in work that other people have done, they have taken a whole group of these little sensors. I mean, some of them have like a hundred of these little transmitters. And as they go out and through the air, they interfere with each other and make the sound, and you can hear it pretty good. And it's kind of neat, because you can take this little speaker, and no one can hear it, no one can hear it, can hear it, until it's exactly pointed at you, and then you can hear it, and then you can't. That is so neat. It's kind of neat. But it's this great big deal. In fact, some of the units even have to have a cooling pan, because they're driving a hundred of these, these transmitters. And I don't think that's very practical for our Celis learning pods. <laughs> so that reminds me of an experience I had a long time ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was it? Would you like to hear about mm -hmm. it? Seriously? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I would. <laughs> well, I, I would like to take this opportunity to announce that besides being a scientist, I'm also an artist. I'm a painter. I paint beautiful landscapes. Really? Mm-hmm. So I went up in the mountains. True story? Yeah, true story. And there was a beautiful mountain, and so I got my... Canvas? My canvas. You know, they take a piece of canvas, they stretch it over a wood frame to hold it for us painters so we can paint our landscape. I put it there, and I got out my paints, and I started painting the mountain and the pine trees, and. I worked on it for, oh, probably two hours. You have to be very careful when you're an artist. And I was very careful. And then I stopped to just kind of take it in, to enjoy it. And I looked at the mountain, I looked at my painting, and then I realized something. My painting looked more like that mountain than the one I was trying to paint. <laughs> That gives you a clue what kind of artist I am. <laughs> so, that didn't bother me. No. I just turned and started painting that <laughs> mountain for a while. <clears throat> Do you still have it? Last time I saw it was hanging in my mother's garage. <laughs> oh. That's a whole other story. You bring home mother. I would like to give you this painting I made myself. And, oh, that's nice. We'll find a lovely place for it. <laughs> that's why I decided to stay in science. True story. <clears throat> yeah, she wonderful mother. Though, huh? Oh, yes, in the garage. <laughs> but when uh, you're doing an experiment like this and you're trying your things, and you can't get the sound to go through, what do you do? What do you do? You can give up. It doesn't sound like you. I've given up several times on this project. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a hard one. Yeah. Some of the kids want to know if the high frequencies that you can't hear would give headaches. They would if, unless they were very, very weak power. Oh, okay. If they're very weak power, they wouldn't. But if they were strong power, which I can make strong power, than they would. And that's why I've got to get more of the energy to decouple. And normally when you demodulate something, like if we modulate, let's pretend this is a radio tower. 
and these are radio waves coming out. Use your imagination. We put the sound on the radio waves and they come out and the person that's receiving the radio wave has a radio. And the radio is a device that catches the radio wave and demodulates it or it pulls the signal off the wave. And it actually does that in an amplitude modulated radio by rectifying the wave. And that's kind of an interesting thing. You know, we talk about these crystals. Crystals have very interesting electrical properties. Gallium arsenide, that sound familiar? Yeah. A cat whisker? You remember hearing about that? So if you have a little headphone so you don't need much power, you can string a wire just out to a tree or across your living room if your parents will let you. <laughs> Mine was on a tree. <laughs> and, uh, and then you take another wire and hook it to a water pipe. And if you can't do that, you go outside and drive a rod in the ground and hook that wire to the ground. So you go under the ground, one to the tree. You bring those two wires back to a toilet paper roll. Now this, this, if you don't know about these, this is what happens at the end of a roll of toilet paper. You get a toilet paper roll, okay? And if you wind a wire around that roll, you get a coil. So you have the coil, you hook one side of the coil up to the tree wire and the other one to the wire going to ground, and then you bring that signal back to a cat whisker. And the cat whisker is the name they give to a little teeny coil of metal around the end of an arm. So it's just like a little pointer. And then you have a crystal, a gallium crystal, and you just touch around on the crystal and all of a sudden you hear the radio in your headphone. No batteries, no solar collectors, no generators, because all the energy that's running your little radio receiver is energy from that radio wave coming down the wire. And some of you guys would call this a crystal radio. And you should get one. If you've never made a crystal radio, you should. Remember, you'll have to run a wire out to a tree to get enough power to run it. We have a question yeah. right here, please. This is from me. This is directly, you should probably blame it on someone else. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. What is it? Actually, it's an A and B question. Number one, how old were you when you did that? And number two, how did you know to do that? I was ageless. <laughs> I, I'm kind of being serious here. Well, it, it was electricity. It was yeah. electrifying. How do you know yeah, about you that? Know, it's, it's not it's normal. Around it's it's just around you. It's interesting <laughs> that some people will study and learn about radios, about waves. Bill Lear, our mentor that was right between us and Thomas Edison mm -hmm. in our engineering chain of brilliance, I like that chain of brilliance. Chain of brilliance. That's neat. It has to do with light bulbs. Inventionary chain. I brilliance. like that terminology okay. right there. But anyway, Bill Lear, when he was starting out his career, designed a radio receiver. And remember, he was the guy 
that figured out you don't need a great big coil. You could make one the size of a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> he figured that out because they were all big before him. So if you had a radio, it had to be a great big tall thing. And he right. figured out you could make a little one. Now, the story about him having a little argument with his teacher and that, that's just a story that apparently was true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so they made a little coil, made a little radio, and call it Motorola. But Bill Lear would design a radio, and then he'd go find a company that wanted to make radios, and he'd sell the design. Then he'd go home, and he'd design a better one, because now he learned how to do it better, how to make it louder, how to make it sound better, and he'd go sell that one. And that's when he met Thomas Edison, mm. because he was designing these radios, but he could never get enough money to even pay his rent. And Thomas Edison mentored him on how to actually turn that into a career. And eventually he started Motorola, which was a very successful company. Motorola meaning motor radio and so forth. But these little crystal radios are, are quite interesting. If you don't have a little piece of wire to put on a little teeny natural crystal in your crystal radio, you can get a diode. Just a little going marsonite diode, which you can hook up and it'll work too. But you'll hear all of the stations at once. With the little crystal, with the cat whisker, you could move around on the crystal and get different stations, which was kind of interesting. Really? But if you have a diode, you get all the stations. If you want to hear them all at once, that's pretty good. And so what you do then is you make a slider to go across the top of the coil, which is round, round toilet paper roll, but the wire usually has varnish on it, so you have to take a piece of sandpaper and sand off the varnish, and then you go back and forth, and you can tune between the different stations. When you start That's learning really about the physics of how things work, about electrons, atoms, frequencies, there's so many neat, neat, neat things you can do. I, I have one really fun little story um, fluorescent lights, really interesting. You all see them, fluorescent tubes, put them in a light fixture. They're, the standard ones are four feet long. Mm -hmm. And they're actually mercury vapor inside that gets excited. And they have little heaters to get them started. And then they flash, and you have to have a ballast. Well, the interesting thing is when I was uh, running my ham radio, ham radio is when you have a little radio, you get, a, you get a license by learning Morse code, and you can transmit a signal to other ham radio operators. You can talk to them with Morse code, and if you get a, an advanced license, you can actually talk on a microphone with them. Well, I found out that when I was running my transmitter, whenever I turned on to send a signal to transmit, a fluorescent bulb that was sitting on my desk glowed. And it wasn't hooked up on either end. And it just glowed. And so I grabbed a hold of it, and then it really glowed. <laughs> I am hot. <laughs> Is that Put what it you down. Thought? Yeah, and it was really neat because the radio waves were exciting the gas inside there and making it glow. And I thought, this is really neat. Well, a little bit later, when I got a little bit older, and I was actually in high school, I had a friend. They had a little shop, and his little shop 
was in his garage, and his garage was out there, and he was working on an engine, and he didn't have very good light. We're trying to see the light. It was getting dark, and, and he couldn't see. They says, do you have a fluorescent bulb? And he said, yes. Well, I have fixtures. Just get a bulb. So he went in and got a bulb, and I took a piece of wire from one end of the bulb and ran it to the other end. That's the crazy. Yeah, here's a fluorescent okay. bulb, and I took a wire from one end uh -huh. and just ran it to the other end. <laughs> and the light came on. But he lived right next to the radio station. And there was a great big tower outside, and I thought, oh, I could make that wire receive the radio waves. And we put it up so he could work on his car. It's like Toby's saying, pull it out, Free put electricity. It back in. Pull it out, put it back in. <laughs> Lights go on. That's right. Well, we got way off. But the problem is we're not having success. And I figure, boy, this is an opportunity for me to vent my frustration, uh, to share <laughs> my discouragement. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to make all the students wear headphones and plug them in. There we go. Well, it's better than nothing. It is. Yeah. And that's where we're at. And am I discouraged? No. Are those your inventionarian glasses? These are some glasses that I wear to give you a hard time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> don't, let, don't look nice. And, why? Would you like those? You can have a turn. But I, I have something really sincere and serious to say. It will be very difficult to know whether or not we're going to be able to find a way to make this sound work so that it, just one person hears the sound without needing to put headphones on. We've been using headphones in our pods now for about seven years. And they're pretty nice. They work good. They sound wonderful. Somebody has really perfected headphones. So they have a very nice sound. And they do plug in. And it is a solution. I want to I wanna make it better than that. I want to plus it. I want to find a way so that no one has to wear those headphones. And there's got to be a way that I can get these to work. And I have built probably a hundred different experiments in my inventionering inside my head and laboratory. And a lot of things have worked in there. <laughs> but when I get out and build them, they don't work as well. And every time I build something that I think should work and it doesn't, then I learn something. And so I've tried making a uh, ultrasound cannon with instead of having one transmitter, I have two. And one of them is at 40 kilohertz, and one of them is 40 kilohertz modulated. And my theory is that in air, the two would interfere. And when I did that, it worked ever so slightly better. Better meaning a little bit more volume. I not only need volume, I need to have really good quality sound. And so now I am, I am looking 
I'm looking, I'm looking for ideas. Did you know that I found a patent from a, a, a guy in Japan that was doing this very same thing? He was making these ultra high frequency uh, speakers are called uh, very directional speakers or parametric speakers. And he said that his invention was that the signal that he drove the piezoelectric crystal was a differential signal. Instead of on and off, it would go on and then it would go negative, then it would go positive and negative. And he said that that made him work better. And I'm thinking about that, and I'm wondering, why would that work better? And he said a lot about it, and he got a patent. His patent now is run out. Patents are good for 17 years, mm -hmm. and his is now, it, well, it ended this year. So that means that's not his, it's his invention, but anybody can use it if they can figure out how. But I wonder, did he really have a good idea? I can't figure out why just having a differential signal would make it work better. And I'm thinking about trying that. To have a differential signal, I have to build a different kind of circuit. I've learned a lot about the way of building these circuits. Do you know how I'm controlling the electricity that goes into these little sensors? Mm -hmm. Normal uh, electronics are 5 volts or 3.3 or 1.8, every time the die size of the silicon gets smaller, the voltage it takes to run goes down. Well, 5 volts is TTL, and, and CMOS is down 3.3. Well, anyway, these things have to be 25 volts, 30 volts. Oh. And most of my electronic chips won't go that high a voltage. And so what I'm doing is I'm using a signal to a chip to create the signal, and then I'm amplifying the signal with a motor controller, like you'd use in a robot. Really? Yeah, isn't that interesting? And if I'm going to make it be a differential signal, then I will use two of these robot drivers, one that'll pull it up, one that'll pull it down to minus. <laughs> and, but I can't see why that would work, and so I'm trying to figure it out. It's so difficult. Thomas Edison tried a thousand different materials and they all burn up. That's a lot of And then he put glass over the top, took all the oxygen out and says, now let's see you burn. <laughs> and it, it didn't, at least it burned very slowly and lasted for days. So it, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a law. This is a law that I've never said before, so oh. we could call it my law. My law or our law? Okay, our law. <laughs> it's, it's our law. Like our? And, and we're going to, but I don't want to call it the our law. It's just one of our laws. Okay, okay. so we'll okay. call it our oh. law number one. Okay? If when you invent something, it's really easy. It's probably a crummy invention. <laughs> you know, that's because if it was easy, it would be done. It would be done. It's interesting when you're inventing something, it's, I think it's impossible. 
Every time I finish a session, I, it is impossible. And the next day, oh, maybe there's something we could try. <laughs> the harder it is, the more valuable off times the invention is. Of course, if it's so difficult that you can never get it going, it's not as valuable. One of the experiments that scientists are trying so hard to get to work, and we're spending billions of dollars, and that's a lot of money, every year is nuclear fusion. And what are we trying to do? We're just trying to copy someone else's invention. <laughs> Whoever made the stars. Exactly. Because every star and our sun are all doing it. We know it works. We see it. <laughs> and it works just fine. You gotta just hold it there and but whatever container we put it in melts because it's so much hotter than any material can withstand. And so now we're trying to make a bottle out of a magnetic fill to hold it just long enough to give us the energy. Once we harness that, we will have enough energy for everybody in the world without burning any more oil mm -hmm. for the longest time. And, uh, and it will come. And it will come because someone will look at it and they'll see it differently. Have you heard of cold fusion? Yes. Cold fusion. Fusion is the reaction that takes place in the sun. And a couple guys, a Brit and a guy from the University of Utah, came up with this strange experiment where they did fusion like a star, but they did it at room temperature. And they call it cold fusion. And since they did this experiment, it's caused a major controversy in science. Some people tried it and said it doesn't work. Other people said, I tried it, and it seems to sort of work, but we can't quite figure out why. How could it work? And they're seeing experimental results that make them think there's some nuclear reaction happening there. And so there's a lot of controversy. One thing they haven't been able to do with cold fusion is they haven't been able to generate continuous power output. So if it works, it doesn't work good enough to run anybody's car yet. But fusion is a place where there is power available. There's enough isotopes in the ocean to run this planet for the longest time if we could just figure out how to harness that. Having a sound cannon, as I call them, where the sound goes the direction I say it should go would be the newest thing. Doesn't this look like it should work? It does. <laughs> it does. It comes shooting out of there and goes <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and I'm learning a lot about sound, mm. things that I thought I kind of figured out. Sound really is air being bumped. Mm -hmm. And as it comes out of there, it's bumped and it goes every direction, and these low frequencies go out. The high frequencies, like the ultrasound, are pretty directional. They go out in a pretty narrow cone. So, stay tuned, and we will continue this inventioneering challenge until we get so frustrated we move on to something else, or until we, we break it. But I believe this one is going to fall. I think we're going to find a solution, and who knows, if any of you have got ideas, shoot them in. We need help.
lots and lots of ideas, okay? All right, by the way, I have a, a physics friend, one of our faculty members here at IST, that we shot this to because he is really a clever, clever, clever scientist. And I said, okay, we've got that information on that wave and there's plenty of power. All we need to do now is efficiently convert it back to audible sound without a receiver. It's just gotta happen just in your ear. If I could put a receiver there, I could do it. But if we put a receiver there, what? It'd be in the headphones? You know, what good would that do? If it's hard, just remember it's only hard until you figure out how to do it. And then they'll say, well, anyone would have done that. It's <laughs> obvious. <laughs> See you next time.